millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. It's here. The season has arrived. The new era. A new beginning, a new dawn, a new... Well, not nothing new about the, about the result, but look, it's here and it is a new season. And I don't know, I you know, the game didn't perhaps go as well as we might like yesterday, but there still feels like something interesting and fresh and different and and what have you. You know, even the even the fact that things didn't go as well as people might like in certain areas, I'm curious to see how Unai Emery is. Go- wow, we've. D- uh, doved, doved, divin. What's the past tense? Plunged, plunged, <laughs> jumped, <laughs> jumped straight into the football stuff here without any uh, nonsense. But I'm really curious and interested to see what he does because we kind of would have an idea of what Arsene Wenger would do in the in a in a situation like this. You know, he give the guys a bit more time. You know, give them a couple of games. It's you know start of the season. Players are back late. Blah blah blah. But I think we saw some signs yesterday that Unai Emery will react to things differently than than Arsene Wenger would have because you know. Let's face it, they are not the same person, which is an amazing thing to consider. That was one of the most amazing things about yesterday, actually, the the realisation that they are different people. Even the sight of someone different in the dugout was wild. I mean, someone in the dugout, full stop, was uh, a bit of a change from recent years. But, uh, I mean, he wasn't even confined to his technical area, he was well outside the bounds of it on several occasions. I think the fourth official sort of gave him a free pass because he was like, well, it's his first day. You know, he's overexcited. (laughs) He was very, uh, as we were promised... He was very uh, emotive and active on the sideline. Yeah, he does like to to shout instructions at his players and point. He does a lot of pointing, and we all know that that's what we've been missing over the last while is shouting mm. and pointing because those the are marginal the marginal gains. Yes, exactly, exactly. But look, uh, I suppose we might as well just get straight into it. I owe you some ham on ruffles uh, because I think the bet we had uh, a few episodes ago was that Bernd Le- uh, Leno would be the the goalkeeper for our first game. I felt that having spent £22.5 million on a goalkeeper this summer, we would play him, but we didn't. Mm. We picked Petr Cech. First and foremost, what was your... I mean, were you surprised by that at all, even though you had predicted it a couple of uh, weeks ago? Uh, I wasn't enormously surprised, and I should probably say that earlier in the week, I heard a bit of a whisper that, that Leno hasn't been in the best of form on the training ground. Uh, that no one necessarily at the club was uh, particularly convinced that he looked ready for the number one shirt. So I felt a little bit more confident Hmm. than I had 
Mm. Um, I mean, uh, it's a little bit alarming, that, potentially. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently that is the case. So I was feeling quite secure that those ruffles were going to be heading my sweet, well, salty way. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've always had a hunch that it might be Czech. I always felt like Leno felt like a buy who had to improve to be good enough to be our number one. And I still retain that opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, what do we make of that then, given that Unai Emery has a very clear style of play that he wants his team to use. He wants to play out from the back. He wants to use his keeper in the build-up from the back. And we know mm. that Petr Cech, for all his strengths, this isn't necessarily one of them. Cech was quite interesting on TV afterwards. I don't know if you saw. He said, you know, it was, it was. Um, it, I think he said it was nice. You know, this was a nice change, a pleasant change for me to be able to, <laughs> to play a bit. You know, I've always, or he said, yeah. uh, you know, in the past I've worked with managers who, who just want me to kick it along, you know, no, no um, guessing as to which Jose Mourinho flavoured manager he was talking about there. So I think he enjoyed it from that point of view, even if there were one or two, maybe three or four <laughs> uh, quite was scary say, moments. I was going to say, was it nice when he nearly just kicked it in his own net? <laughs> how nice he felt right then. Uh, no, I, that didn't necessarily feel nice. I did notice a question on this, actually. Uh, Dave Strauss, who's at Goodman underscore London, says, for pure comedy, you only live once type, uh, type of thing. Was there any part of you that wishes Czech actually slid that one in off the post? Uh, which I understand, but no, there is no part of me that wanted to, to, to see that. But it was very, very close. And I'm not mm. even quite sure that was the most difficult pass he had to deal with on the day. I'm not sure what, what he was what he was really doing there. But, you know, we, we, we accept that. I think most of us would accept that that's not, not, not necessarily Czech's strength. So does that make you even more worried, form aside, that Leno, who is a goalkeeper perhaps more suited to that style of play, still hasn't forced his way into Unai Emery's uh, reckoning for the, for the first game of the season? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. I mean, I'm sure we'll see him. I'm sure we'll see him in the Europa League. I'm sure we'll see him in the domestic cups. But uh, clearly, clearly Emery thinks Czech is the, the better man to have in his eleven. I don't know if that's just about his ability as a goalkeeper. I wonder if it's to do with his influence, his experience, you know, his role in the dressing room. Maybe that's part of Emery's thinking as well. But I actually thought Czech started pretty well yesterday. I mean, mm. City came out of the blocks really fast and I thought he made a couple of decent saves uh, early on. And I was thinking, oh, wow, he's really justifying his performance here. And it just seemed to me that his his confidence really dipped after conceding the first goal and, and maybe, you know, he wasn't quite at the same level from that point on. Yeah. Well, hello, dogs. Um, There's dogs outside, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, look, I suppose it's going to take time for him to get used to playing that way. Uh, I think what was interesting uh, as well a couple of times was the amount of uh, passes that he got to his right foot. So Mm. that's something that the defenders are going to have to work on. Uh, And, you know... I have some sympathy for him and for the Arsenal team in general because playing that new style of football against a team as good as Manchester City is really, really difficult because they're so well organised. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. They've more or less perfected their own pressing game, you know, they know how to deal with a team that wants to play it out from the back. And that, on top of the fact that Unai Emery's first game, there are there are new tactics, there are new instructions. I don't want to be trite in any way here, 
But I do wonder as well if there are, you know, in these early stages, some communication issues as well, because his English isn't quite as good as it it's going to be in a few months' time, which isn't to say that, you know, they don't understand exactly what they're doing, but the nuances uh, perhaps might be lost a little bit along the way. Um, you know, it was a really, really difficult game to start our season with. It was, and that was sort of my big take out from the game really that it was a bit of a shame that we had to face City first because you know Unai Emery is attempting to instill these new philosophies these new ideas and not only are they the worst person you could possibly have to do that against but also footballers will do anything if they believe it will get them results so you know to, to, to have an easier opponent and maybe be like look what I'm teaching you, what I'm telling you to do has a tangible benefit. It does end up in victories. It does end up in points. Yeah. Would have been, I think, really beneficial for Emery. But to try and uh, indoctrinate them to his way of thinking when it's, you know, really difficult and when they're not really getting much out of it yeah. is a, a tough ask. And the other thing to remember is that, you know, we, we look at the City side now and we say, wow, aren't they extraordinary? They play the ball out from the back. They're pressing it so... Is so coordinated, but it wasn't always thus. You know, when Pep first arrived, we all remember John Stones giving the ball away in his yeah. own third. Uh, we remember countless errors. Remember, you know, Claudio Bravo being the ridicule of the Premier League, yeah. not making similar mistakes to the ones Czech was making yesterday. There is a, a learning curve and there is a risk, particularly early on, in adopting this kind of strategy. And we have to accept that, I think. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, look, the players have to buy into it. I think the fans have to buy into it as well. Because, you know, there was a moment, wasn't there, after about 40 minutes where there was a goal kick and for once Czech waved his teammates forward and there were cheers from the crowd because there, there is this... I think this inherent part... Is that a cat as well now? Holy moly. Um, yeah, it's a, a menagerie. You've got a menagerie there. But there is a part, there is, you know, this fundamental risk-averse part of, of being a football fan where it's like, get rid! Just get rid of it! You know, don't play around with it at the back because you could be punished and you could you could uh, inflict some damage on your own team because of that. You know, there were a couple of moments yesterday like that where I, I think the fans really have got to be patient. If this is the way Unai Emery wants to play, it's not going to be it's not going to be perfect in one game. It's not going to be perfect in one month, and it's probably uh, in reality not going to be perfect in one season. Although we should, as time goes on, see some uh, see some developments see some progress uh, during the course of, of this campaign. So I think fans have got to just be a little bit more patient with what Emery is is trying to do. There was another moment with Czech as well before we move on. I think, you know, after he had had that moment where, um, uh, you know, he'd nearly put the ball in his own net and there were a couple of hairy moments. You know, there was some... I don't know if it was from the City fans or if it was from the Arsenal fans, but, you know, when he got the ball, there was a bit of like, ooh, you know, that kind of stuff. And he made a gesture to the crowd, I think. It was sort of like a wave. It was like, okay, fine, just shut the fuck up now. You know, yeah, I take yeah, yeah. I take this on board. It was my mistake, but don't fucking keep going on it. You know, and I think that's something that, um, I'm not sure that was necessarily a positive thing. I like the way that Czech dealt with that, though. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, that was coming from very much where I was sat. I was sat behind Pedicek's goal. And there were a lot of ironic cheers from the Arsenal fans, you know, when he caught the ball or when he managed to complete a pass. And in as you say, in the build up to him passing the ball. And I thought, I just thought that was a bit unnecessary. You know, I, I wonder if it came from people wanting to see the new man, wanting to see the goalkeeper. We all love, we all love a, a shiny new player. We all love a new signing. But I just felt that... 
it, it wasn't really appropriate. No, checks. he's doing his best, isn't he? You know, I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's as new for him as it is for us. And he is a 36-year-old player trying to adapt to a new way of playing. Now, whether that is uh, worthwhile, whether that will actually get anywhere remains to be seen. But mm. I feel like we need to be patient. We need to be behind him. Um, yeah, I was, a, I was a, a little bit alarmed to hear that, particularly so early on, because it's so clear, isn't it, that the manager is trying to instill something new. Yeah. And we have to... We have to we have to back him with that. Exactly. Isn't that what people wanted? They wanted something new. They wanted a team that uh, wasn't the same Arsene Wenger team and to to expect it to be perfect or to be, you know, brilliant from day one, especially against a team like City is just unrealistic. You know, these are guys, a lot of these guys have played under Arsene Wenger for years. Is You know, they, they've got to learn new things, new habits, new automatisms, all that kind of stuff. And, and the best way to learn it, regardless of what they do on the training pitch, is going to be in games. And I think they need the fans behind them and to understand what it is that they're trying to do. You know, so... Uh, you know, there were some players who weren't necessarily at the races yesterday, but that's a, that's a, that's a different thing. I just think in terms of the overall style of play, if this is what Emery wants, we've got to give him uh, a chance and the players have got to be given a bit of time and understanding and not necessarily heap pressure on them. I know it's a human reaction, isn't it? It's a normal human reaction. I remember City fans were going crazy uh, in Pep's first season when players were getting caught on the ball. They were, you know, um, they, they took some time to buy into it as well. But I think maybe there's a lesson to be learned from that, that, you know, we could be a little bit more understanding um, because it's a, it's a system, it's a style of play that demands a lot of concentration. It demands near perfection when it comes to your passing and your decision making. And uh, a lot of those things come from doing those things over and over and over again and knowing where your teammates are going to be. And in the first game of the season, you know, it's clear that wasn't the case for a number of those players. Do you think, though, I mean, I'm with you and I think we need to show patience and, you know, if this is what Emery believes in, great. But do you think there's a case that maybe this wasn't the opponent to suddenly decide, well, this is what we're going to do 100% of the time? Like, was there a case that maybe against City we might have been a bit better off going longer at times? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um... It's difficult, but what I'm saying is I know that there's a balance to be struck, I suppose, but yeah. while Emery clearly feels this is integral to the way he wants to play, we also, one of the things we want a manager is someone who adapts to the opposition themselves. And I just wonder if, given that they press so hard at the pitch, if we'd gone a bit longer, a bit earlier, we might have had a little bit more joy. Um, Maybe. It's a difficult one, that, isn't it? It is, yeah, because how do you how do you teach your players to, to play in that way if you don't play in that way you know I do take your point it is it's a difficult balancing act there must have been uh, times when the Arsenal players and even Emery himself would have liked perhaps the the team to be a bit more direct and to to go longer maybe you can catch City out I think we did a few times but City are so well organised they they won pretty much everything at the back we didn't offer very much in in the final third anyway and it's not Mm. like we have a player like Olivier Giroud who we can fire long balls to and he can hold them up and bring players into it so yeah you know I think if it was a criticism of Arsene Wenger that he didn't adapt tactically to other teams, it was only a criticism in the the second half of his reign. It, it certainly wasn't a criticism in, in the first half when he was winning games and bringing success. And I think most coaches have uh, a desire uh, to play the way they want to play. Emery has it, Guardiola has it. Did Guardiola change his system? 
just because people yeah, were a little bit antsy. Uncompromising. Yeah, exactly. So I think you've got to give these guys the the room to do what they feel is the right thing to do, even if it goes against what you think might be the right thing to do. May this is a long term thing for Emery. It's not a short term thing. So it's about putting those things in place for for the longer term. So yeah, maybe you could be a little bit more. Uh, conscious of of the opposition, but maybe it's also when you play this way against a team as good as Manchester City. There's a lot you can learn from it. There's a there's a yeah. lot to learn from playing against a team who can who can nullify you in that way. So you've got to find solutions, and you can look at that game and say, well, look, they did this. So what can we do in those circumstances if you encounter that again? You know, you can't just you can't just play a video game on easy. You know and win and think you're great at the video game. You've got to beat the hard bosses as well, if that makes sense. That's true. That's true. And one of the things I learned watching this is, well, I wonder if that's why Scott Rambostafi has been kept around the club because he's one of the few defenders we have on the books who's able to play a forward pass, really, an effective forward pass between the lines. Because mm. although Czech is getting a lot of stick... Um, I felt like it was the second pass, really, that was the problem for Arsenal. You know, we could knock it about between the centre-halves and the goalkeeper just about OK. But the issue was we couldn't really see a way forward often from there. And I think that's partly the passing ability of the defenders we have, but also the responsibility of the midfielders to to offer movement, to yeah. show in space and create those lines. Midfield was an issue yesterday, I think. Um, what, what a big call it was uh, huge. to start Matteo Guendouzi. Huge. I mean, he's rewarding him for his pre-season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he picked him ahead of £26 million Lucas Torreira, who, in fairness, only came back to the club uh, last week. So maybe he's a little bit behind in terms of his physical preparation. We have to bear all those things in mind when we look at a manager's uh, decisions. Although Granite Xhaka came back at the same time and he started the game. So... Uh, it was it was a big big call. It really was. And at times I felt sorry for Genduzi because you know he he tried really hard. He he didn't give up. There were things that went wrong for him, and he didn't let his head go down. I liked that during a break in play. At one point, he went over to the touchline to to talk to Unai Emery, perhaps to get some instruction to say, look, what do I do here? How do I cope with this? You know, this is Manchester City. Um, and from that point, he seemed to grow a little bit in confidence. That was about midway through the the first half, if I remember correctly. So whatever Emery said to him there and whatever he took on board uh, seemed to work. But there were moments where you could see this is a guy who played in League Two last season. He's 19 years of age. This is a huge step up in level. And it's not his fault that things were difficult for him in there. You know, on even with the best will in the world and with the greatest of support, it would have been difficult for him at times against a team as good as Manchester City stepping up to the Premier League. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that. It's not being critical of him to say that either. You know, he wasn't good for the goal, although he wasn't the only one. Um, we, We might touch on the goals now in a second. And there was that mistake in the second half where he let Aguero through, totally misjudged the ball, the flight of the ball that went under his foot. Aguero should have scored or should have squared it to to De Bruyne. But in the context of the game yesterday, there was a lot to like about what he did and how he did it, even if you can see that he is a player who's got a huge amount to learn at this level. 
Yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised. I was in the I was at the game yesterday, and I didn't have access to, you know, the internet or Twitter or anything like that. And I, I watched Game Dizzy play, and I liked him. I thought, you know, I, I like him as a prospect. I think he is a really promising young player, and he looks like a really interesting signing. I was surprised when I jumped online and saw him receiving quite a lot of praise uh, from the Arsenal fan, not, you know, for being uh, sort of outstanding on the day. And I think while elements of his character were outstanding and he really stood up to the task well, I mean, I, I don't think he was great. Like, I think he I think he struggled, uh, as, all, as all our midfielders did. Yeah. Um, I, and I feel like there's a bit of maybe, I don't know, it feels like there's almost like, because he's new, because he's young, we're sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt, which sure. I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate that, but I, I think he's got a long way to go. I mean, mm. you, you mentioned the first goal. I felt he was beaten too easily on the first goal. Mm. If you look at the second goal, he gets beaten very easily high up the pitch as well, and then caught out and doesn't get back. And yeah, he nearly gave away a third goal to Aguero. So I do think we need to sort of temper our collective excitement about this player and I think that in can we've seen with players in the past particularly in the kind of defensive third of the field it can be as dangerous for them to be putting over their head early as it can be positive yeah um so yeah I, I thought he was I thought he was all right yeah but, but I'm I, not looking yeah. at him going sure you're better than the established internationals necessarily well you know I think he played better than them that's the thing that was evident yesterday despite the flaws in his game and despite the how raw he is you would have to say, and I would say it, that he was better than Xhaka. He was he better was than Ramsey. Yeah. He was better than uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. You know, so these experienced internationals who really should have been providing him with the support that he needed as a midfielder weren't there. Xhaka was mm. really poor. Mkhitaryan was more or less invisible. As the game went on, he became more and more invisible. Ramsey was clearly instructed to press very high up to lead the Arsenal press from the centre forward position. We assume that that's the instruction, but, uh, you know, he had some nice moments, I thought, Ramsey. There was a moment uh, in the first half where he created something uh, quite dangerous. Um, We didn't do an awful lot of that. So there were some positives to Ramsey's game, but in general, you know, he didn't didn't have a great game. So I think in the context of the performances of those guys, to see Genduzzi, you know, at least take on the responsibility of of trying hard and working hard. And I think that's the ethic that Unai Emery likes, isn't it? You know, that's, I yeah. think, why he was rewarded with a, with a start. Um, you might question the decision um, on one level because it, it is such a big step up and it is such a big uh, gulf in quality between League Two and the teams he was playing in Manchester City. So I get like the manager's got some faith in him and wanted to perhaps reward him for a good preseason and to show that there's like a a meritocracy at the club. Performances will get you in the team. If you work hard, you've got a chance to make it in the team. But, you know, it goes back perhaps to that other question. Um, Do you have to temper some of your principles for what might be a, a... a more solid, a more stable midfield if you put someone like um, Mohamed Elneny in there, you know, or Lucas Torreira. So, you know, it, it's, it's I, a yeah, I don't one. understand why Elneny's quite so out of favour with the fans at the moment. I feel like Elneny had a really good second half to last season and we lost him to injury is at he, a time when he was Is he out of really, favour with fans? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I well, when I well, I can only go on the basis of um, you know my little uh, echo chamber. But when I picked my predicted team to face City, I thought it would be Al Nenian alongside Shaka. I didn't think Enduzi would play. I didn't think Torreira would play either. I didn't think he would be deemed ready. Mm. But the amount of people who said not El Nenny, how can you put El Nenny in there? And I was like, oh. I thought last season we thought Elneny was one of our most improved players. We gave him a new contract. Everyone said he was. we were happy about it. He deserved it. And when I look at Genduzi, I think, yeah, really good character, really good prospect. But I struggle to see that right now he's better than Elneny. That, and I feel like I'm going to take pelters for that. Well, based on of, based on what we've seen, I mean, I think, you, you know, there is this, uh, you made the point that he's new and he's young and that with it brings a certain amount of understanding and yeah. forgiveness. And people want the nice new thing to be good and everything else. And I really hope he is. You know, there was a lot to like about, about what he did yesterday. Um, but also, let's be realistic about... Um, where he's at in his career right now. And yeah. is he ready to play Premier League games against the champions, knowing already that it's going to be a very difficult game? You know, he, he did absolutely did his best. You know, there's no it taking feels that like away. A bit of the what we could call the Mavropanos effect. You know, somebody mm. comes in, we don't know anything really about them as a player. We can project onto them whatever we want. And they're new and they're different and they don't have associations with, yeah. with the past. But I mean, look, I'm just trying to provide some context for this performance. You know, he was good on the day. He, he did well for his level, you know? Yeah, yeah. and I think as well, people uh, people appreciate what he did in the context of the performances of some of the more established players in the team. You know, Mesut mm. Ozil was not great. Xhaka was no. poor. Mkhitaryan was lightweight. Uh, you know, we didn't get a great deal of service to Aubameyang. So I can understand why people are, are, are saying, well, look, Guendouzi or Guendouzi is, is uh, you know, he's not the big problem. Uh, it's it's the performances of the other players around him. So I, I mean, do you think right. that do you think that will have been instructive to Unai Emery the way that some of his other players played? I mean, Xhaka, for example, can we can we use the excuse that uh, he's only back last week and hasn't had a full preseason? I mean, there's a whole pile oh, yeah. of questions about Xhaka. You know, should we have sold him? All this kind of stuff. I know it's only one game of the season, but it's one game on top of two seasons that came before this you know people have people have serious doubts it's tempting isn't it to read into Emery's substitutions I mean it's tricky because he brought off Ramsey and then he brought off Shaka and they're both players who uh, have had sort of fitness concerns going into also, the game. Also, yeah, Ramsey had a calf and also Xhaka was on a yellow card. So they're, they're, those yeah. two things could have been part of his decision making but I think you're right to, to look at the substitutions Arsene Wenger would not have made those substitutions. Genduzi no would have come off. If, you know, if he'd started him, he would have been the guy to come off. Yeah, it was interesting to see the timing of the substitutions being a little bit different to what we used to under Arsene Wenger and, and the personnel. You know, there was no deference to seniority, certainly in, in those changes. And Arsene Wenger would not have made those changes at all. You're right, it would have been Genduzi who came off. So uh, that was interesting. I mean, the midfield was a problem yesterday. And when you look ahead to Chelsea and you think, well, where can changes be made? Mm. I mean, that is... That's the first area that you'd look at, isn't it? And think, well, what can we fix in there? I mean, Lucas Torreira obviously uh, is likely to come in, but Shaka was poor yesterday. I mean, I, you know, he Gunduzi could have expected a lot more support from someone who is one of Emery's five captains and one of the senior players. And yeah, I guess he's just really. We've known this for a long time, but he struggles 
when pressed, doesn't he? He doesn't cope well in tight spaces. Would it also be fair to say that Granit Xhaka is a guy who finishes seasons more strongly than he starts them? Based on what we've seen, yeah. definitely that's true. Yeah. So that that that's a factor, and maybe that's something Unai Emery has to has to contend with. Um, it was interesting hearing. As, as, go on. I was just going to say, as for Ramsey, I was interested by that role that he played. It, it reminded me. I said this in my post-match video, but it reminded me a little bit, and I don't like saying this name, but it reminded me a little bit of the role Deli Alley plays for Spurs. Mm. As, I, I was, I, there was like a thud there, and I thought it was you just like passing out just the, the ground. Front, it, was just, it was the front door. <laughs> and I thought it was you like, just like, I've killed you by saying Deli Alley on the podcast. Um, it was almost like a sort of second striker role, wasn't it? It was really mm. high up the pitch, far higher than we're accustomed to seeing him. And at times... Again, it's one of those things where, well, clearly that's something Emery wants. But there were times yesterday when you felt uh, we could have done with him dropping back in a bit more to help out Shaka and Gunduzi because they weren't coping particularly yeah. well. Yeah, true, true. Um, so, look, let's talk a little bit about the defensive side of our game, which was uh, suspect, uh, which will come of no uh, as no surprise to anybody. You know, we expressed defensive concerns before uh, before the game. We did our season preview, and all four of us who wrote the season preview for Ars Blog were worried about our defence. Ainsley Maitland Niles at left back suffered a really torrid time uh, against Mares and against Kyle Walker. Two very fast, very tricky individuals. I, for one, was a little bit disappointed that a Unai Emery didn't seem to do much about it during the game. Mm. And B, our new defensive leader, the 30-year-old uh, uh, Greek international Socrates, he talked about how he was going to be a leader, how he was going to help the young players, the young defenders. To me, he looked like a guy absolutely and utterly focused on his own performance um, because it was a challenge for him. And he didn't really do an awful lot to help Maitland-Niles out in terms of telling him what he should do. I mean, Gary Neville said it on commentary. The minute that Stefan Licksteiner came on, uh, he got close straight away to whether it was Mares or Walker, whereas Maitland-Niles was dropping off and he was uh, not being given an awful lot of cover. They were able to bypass him with, with some quick passing, um, some one-twos and, and what have you, whereas Licksteiner got close. I think he clattered Mares after about two minutes did, just, yeah. to, just to let him know he was there, which is fine. But, you know, that comes from years and years of experience of playing as a, as a fullback, normally on the right. But, you know, you can, you can transition over to the left the same principles apply generally uh, and we look more defensively solid when he came on uh, which I, I don't suppose is surprising given he's an experienced international defender uh, with all those games under his belt but I thought it was a little disappointing that we didn't really help out Maitland-Niles there he went off with an injury which we're not sure whether it's serious or not I saw somebody say that he was on crutches after the game which could be precautionary but you know that that that's a worry as well that if we are going to be focused defensively we need the 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 experienced guys and the the coach to be able to deal with situations in game and we didn't do that yesterday until we brought Licksteiner on no i mean it was 
quite uh, I felt for Maitland-Niles with what he was up against he had Mares coming inside and then Walker on the outside we took up Maitland-Niles' athleticism his speed and his power but Walker was something else on that flank I mean he really is a, an extraordinary athlete yeah. and uh, yeah it was a really difficult one and Socrates is playing in that channel as well on that side and that is exactly where you want him to be instructing a young player providing support providing a, a little bit of on-field coaching almost but I mean, I don't know, maybe it's uh, early days for his English. It, it's difficult to know, isn't it? But he certainly didn't take that role yesterday. And when Licksteiner came on, I noticed him go through Mares straight away. Yeah. Uh, just, just you know, immediately asserting, look, this isn't going to be an easy ride anymore. And even if Maitland-Niles is fit for next week, I think Licksteiner played himself into the team, didn't he? I thought he was very good, actually, at left-back. Yeah, so did I. I mean, some of the crossing wasn't great, but he got forward well, he overlapped well. Uh, you know, things didn't work for us in the final third yesterday. Aubameyang and uh, Ozil weren't on the, the same wavelength at all. Unfortunately, Ozil's touch and, uh, you know, there were a couple of moments where he really could have done better. The bad pass from Ederson, he took a really mm. heavy touch. He should have scored there. That would have made it 2-1 with five or six minutes to go. And you never know, a set piece or something. Uh, but there was another cross. I think it could have been from Licksteiner uh, to Ozil. He just miskicked it. You know, it was a, a decent half chance there. But yeah, we looked an awful lot more solid I was looking at the goals again I was looking at the goals yeah. both of them and I think Bellerin and, and Ganduzi could have done better with Sterling for the first one and I think Czech was pretty much unsighted but if you look at both goals the ball basically skims Socrates on both occasions it just goes by him ever so slightly and I yeah, wonder I've for the second that. one for the second one I think he could have and should have closed it down much quicker Licksteiner lost uh, Bernardo Bernardo Silva uh, he took his took his eye off him for half a second and it gave him the, the room to, to find the shot but I don't think it was particularly aggressive defending by Socrates you know he talked about what an aggressive defender he is and it's not just about you know being a cunt to the, to the attackers and kicking them being an aggressive defender means you close the ball down aggressively you put yourself and your body on the line to stop shots and what have you and I thought just his reaction times to both the goals were that was a bit of a worry for me it was like he just stood there for both of them yeah, I, I think you are bang on there. I mean, I watched particularly that second goal. He's so close to it. And he doesn't, it's not like he turns his back or anything or doesn't want to get the block in. He's just not quick enough out to it. Mm. Um, and he that doesn't is move. Where, he just doesn't move. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've got to close that space. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I see your point there. I mean, I, it was just a difficult performance to analyse from him, I felt, because it was quite contained like you say I mean there was that he committed that foul didn't he on the edge mm. of his own box which I haven't seen that on a replay actually I only saw that live but at the time I was like well probably necessary it felt like City yeah. were probably going to get yeah. away something there not a bad foul uh, yeah not a bad foul you'd take that one but uh, no I mean it was it's early days it's early days but it wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't a, a brilliant debut but then we've seen good debuts from Arsenal defenders and ultimately been misled so. yeah yeah, look, it is it know. is one game, and these are just observations based on one game. So that's kind of what we're here to do, to talk about what we see and what we saw yesterday. So we're not making any sweeping judgments about the players or the system or anything like that. We're just talking about this one game, just to make that uh, v very clear. Um, overall, you know, were there... Were there positives? Was it a positive that we stuck with that system even though it was so difficult to play with it? What, what would you take away 
from the from the game as um, as as positives for Unai Emery to work with ahead of next week's game? I guess that we. I felt that we did improve. I don't know if that's whether just Manchester City were so in control by that point they allowed us a little bit more possession, a little bit more attacking threat. But I felt like in the second half we we were more equipped to deal with them and I felt that we were better. Uh, not good enough to really make a dent in them, but mm. we, we improved a little bit across the course of the 90 minutes. I felt we were more dangerous once Lacazette came on. Yes. Uh, certainly. I thought he had a a pretty good afternoon. It was a good afternoon for him. Let's put it like that. I thought he showed his value to the team and he offered us um, in a very different way to someone like Olivier Giroud, a bit of a focal point. He was, he could hold the ball and, you know, he showed some nice touches doing that. Uh, so that's an intriguing one, isn't it? Because that's been a big discussion point all through pre-season, you know, yeah. Bamiang versus Lacazette or both. Um, I, I guess, I think yesterday showed that there will be times where Emery deploys both those tactics within the same game uh, yeah perhaps yeah I thought that was I'm a- not necessarily convinced he'll start for example next week Lacazette mm. I don't know I, I would be tempted I would be tempted uh, and I'll, I'll come back to you I think we've got a question in part two but I did think we okay. were better when he came on I thought the second half even though City I'm not going to say they were in second gear or anything like it I think you know we, we struggled really to to create too much but we did have some chances when Lacazette came on there was one he put wide and I think if he'd been Mesut Ozil there was a pass on for Mesut Ozil there you know uh, Ozil was a bit unhappy at not getting the pass uh, you know there were there were half chances I think we could have had a penalty really I think Mustafi was fouled in the box by could have been Mendy um midway through the the second half it could have been just after they scored their goal and if you get a penalty at 2-1 then then who knows uh you know and i think in general we looked much better not much better but certainly better in the second half uh than we did in the first so i think there are there are some small building blocks there for for Unai Emery uh, and hopefully he can he can figure something better out for uh, for Saturday's game against Chelsea because that's another really tough one I mean, if you want a, a basic positive, I thought we were better in this game, although we weren't great, than we were probably in either of those uh, defeats last season. You know, the Capital One Cup final and the awful game that mm. followed that. Yeah. So I thought we were marginally better than those two. So there you go. Okay, well, there we go. Look, it's uh, it's the first game. I don't think anybody is too bent out of shape because we lost. Nobody was really expecting us to win yesterday. Uh, we knew it was going to be difficult. It was difficult. We can see now what a big job Unai Emery has got to to do. It's a huge job on his hands to to get this team playing the way he wants. And uh, look, we'll uh, we'll hope for better uh, on Saturday against Chelsea. But for now, we're going to take a break. We're going to we're going to go into part two and take your questions right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. So, will I go first? Go on, then. Okay, I'm going to go first. And this comes from Liam, who's at Footy Liam. And he says, Gary Neville said it will take two to three transfer windows before Emery gets the squad sorted. Do you agree? And how many windows do you think we need to find the right balance? Ooh, good question. Um, I definitely think it... Well, I don't think we quite found it this summer. I think we did okay. Uh, but I think there were gaps and I think that the squad is a little bit imbalanced in some respects. So I think, yeah, I think we certainly need, given how difficult it is to buy in January, I think we probably need next summer too for Emery to have Mm -hmm. his squad. And I also think that the other reason for that is simply that he needs to have a look at these players. Um, You know, increasingly it's becoming apparent that he's got a very defined idea of how he wants to play and it's almost impossible to predict which of the existing Arsenal players will respond positively to that and fit well into that model. Yeah. And it's going to take a little bit of time for for him to understand that and for us to understand that. Yeah. I do wonder were the players that we bought this summer or identified from quite early on because we knew we were signing Licksteiner early. We knew that Bernd Leno was was uh, the, the Sven Mislintat pick for goalkeeper. We knew we were getting Socrates. Um I wonder were they just picked because they were players in the positions that we needed or were they players that were going to come in and play in those positions that we needed but also in the style that we wanted the new coach or we knew that the new coach was going to play, you know? I I feel like I think that's true what Gary Neville says about two or three transfer windows and I would probably err more towards three than two. But I think as well that Unai Emery has got to have a significant input into the players that we bring in. And I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that the players we brought in this summer were Unai Emery picks as much as they were Sven Mislintat picks. You know, he's the head of recruitment. That's what we that's what we brought him in to do. That's his job. He's done his job. I mean, uh, Gazidis and Raul Sanyehi are there, but they're there to get the deals over the line and make sure they happen. It's Mislin Tat's job to identify the players. And I think yeah. he's got... We If we really want to make this a success, he's got to work in tandem with the head coach rather than making decisions about which players we bring in and then telling the head coach, this is who you've got to work with. I think that's okay to an extent if you're working with doing it the Real Madrid way, where you're bringing in superstar players and really great players and saying, look, here's a collection of fucking great players. Make it work, Zidane. And Zidane kind of did, you know, in the Champions League sense, not so much in the 38-game league sense, but in the Champions League he did because he had that quality. Whereas I think with Arsenal... Because we've got to improve, we really do need to make improvements uh, across the team. I think it needs to be a bit more coordinated. I think so. And I think, you know, given that 
there's a few months between now and the next transfer window and obviously the next summer's transfer window. That relationship between Sven and uh, and Unai is going to be absolutely crucial, isn't it? I mean, they have to collaborate. And that was the great success of Emery's Sevilla side was that he had Monchi and they were a perfect team. You know, mm. Monchi brought the players in and uh, they've suited Emery's style and they had a, a shared vision of of the way they wanted the team to play. It requires buy-in from all parties and it requires Sven to, you know, put his own interests and his own contacts, maybe not before Emery's needs and Emery's preferences. So I do think we are a work in progress. And if yesterday served any real purpose, it was to remind us quite how much work there is to do. You know, it's we, we looked a long, long way off Manchester City and we look at this stage probably a little bit away from a, a top four team. So we need to, we've got a few months obviously to get that together and the season, you know, gives us time to do that. But we are a work in progress, make no mistake about it. Yeah, 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 we, we definitely are. We definitely are. Which is why I think, you know, for all the opprobrium aimed at people like Granit Xhaka yesterday, I think we do have to give all of them a bit more time. You know, we can't really leap to any significant conclusions after one game of the season. You know, if we're six months down the line and players are performing either very well or very poorly, then I think we're in a position to make a judgment about how they suit this team with Unai Emery. But, you know, as ever, I think there's there's a need maybe to just to step back and not go to extremes just yet. Just, just a question sort of on the recruitment. Actually, this isn't a question. It's more of a statement from Arsenal Prince, who's at classified underscore music. And Arsenal Prince says, every English Premier League champion has played at least one active winger. Ozil needs more options to pass to up front. Only Aubameyang in front is limiting. Manchester City's secret weapon is their wingers. They make life easy for their striker and playmaker. Please get this to the boss. And then he's tagged Unai Emery. So good, the good news is that Unai Emery has seen that message. But oh, well did, you, did you... <laughs> problem solved. Yeah. But did you think... Um, the lack of width in the final third was a bit of an issue yesterday? I'm not sure it was an issue yesterday. It might be an issue throughout the season. Uh, you know, it would be great to have an exciting wide player, wouldn't it? Like Amarez, like uh, Leroy Sané, somebody like that. Um, I'd like to see us with that kind of a player, but, you know, we haven't, uh, we haven't made that a priority in this transfer window. Um, and we're going to have to either find a solution from inside the club, whether it's Reese Nelson or playing Aubameyang out left in order to give us something a bit different. Um, but we're not going to have that player between now and January. So I don't really see the point in in bemoaning that week in, week out. I'm not sure really that was the difference either between us and Manchester City yesterday, you know? I, I think, think that's fair. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than that, I suspect. Mm. Um, have you got a question? Oh, have I got a Well, you didn't ask a question. You just read out oh, a statement. I just read a statement. Oh, yeah. okay. Here's a question. Darren Arsenal at Darren Arsenal 1. And Darren says, quite simply, a bit aside from what happened in the game, I guess, should Ramsey have been sold in the transfer window? Uh, I, You know, I, it's it's a really, really difficult question to answer. Because if Aaron Ramsey has no intention of signing a new deal, mm. then yes, he should have been sold. The question is, do the club have any idea whether he has no intention of signing a new deal or not? We know that they've offered him a lot. 
we know they've offered him a lot and he hasn't accepted it. Um, and if you were being absolutely ruthless, you would have put a deadline on the Ramsey thing and you would have put a deadline on the Danny Welbeck thing and you would have said, either you sign by the end of June or you're getting sold and we'll go out and we'll replace you. Mm. That's if you were being really ruthless and that's the way you wanted to run the football club. My sense is with Ramsey is that they're hoping he'll do what Ozil did and sign, whether it's sometime between now and January or sometime in January, you know, maybe they think it's just a negotiating position. My feeling is that it's not. My feeling is that Aaron Ramsey will will run out his contract. And I think the club have taken a gamble on him there. And we're potentially leaving 35, 40 million pounds on the table by by taking that gamble. And that's yes. just my gut feeling. It's not it's not based on inside information or anything like that. And if he signs and if he's a player that Unai Emery wants to keep and Unai Emery can can fashion uh, a really good midfield with Aaron Ramsey in it, I'm absolutely on board with that. But we're not a good selling club. It comes back to that for me. We're not a good selling club, both, you know, in terms of how we deal with situations like Ramsey and Welbeck, two guys that are in the final 12 months of their contract and could go for free. So even between the two of them, we could have got, what, 15 million for Danny Welbeck? This summer, I'd like to think so. If Danny Ings, something like that, know, yeah, yeah, exactly, going for twenty, you know, so thirty-five, thirty million for for Ramsey. So there's fifty million quid that we could stick back in the team that we're not going to have. Um, so that that's the proviso for me. If 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 he if he's not going to sign, yes, he should have been sold. And maybe if we yeah. were if we were going to be a bit more ruthless about how we manage player contracts. And I think we should be in the future, to be perfectly honest. I don't think we can keep doing this with players reaching the final 12 months of their contract. We just can't. So we've got to put some new procedures in place where if a guy has got to the final two years of his contract and we've got we've made offers and he's not signing, the very latest we should sell him is the summer uh, that he's heading into his final year. If not, you sell him with two years on his contract, you get better money for him and you reinvest. Yeah. Well, that, that line in the sand has to be drawn eventually. And for me, given all the other upheaval at the club this summer, this summer was as good a time as any to do it. So based on that, I think I have to say, should Aaron Rousey have been sold? I, I probably would argue yes, just because we've left ourselves so vulnerable at this point And we've shown once again that we're a club that can be slightly bullied in these contractual negotiations. Um it feels like a weak decision. You know, I remember when it was Alexis and Ozil, the club trying to make the case that the strong thing to do was to keep the player and hold him to his contract. But when that costs you 50 million quid, it's very difficult yeah. to justify that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I look, I, I like mean, Ramsey as a player yeah. and I like him as a guy and, I, and I'm glad he's with us this season. Don't get me wrong. But from like a business point of view, I think that we should have been more decisive about it this summer. And given that he didn't want to sign... That there was only one decision to take. Yeah, you know, and you look back then at the Alexis and the Ozil situations, and what what did that cost us? Was that was that a good way of doing business? You know, mm. we swapped Alexis for Mkhitaryan. We didn't get any transfer fee for him when we could have got a transfer fee for him in the summer. 
and we we dropped a huge, huge salary on Mesut Ozil, who is a player I like, but I, I don't think he's given us value yet for that for that uh, wage packet, right? I don't think that's no, I, an unreasonable yeah. position to take. So that that those two situations were not managed very well from an Arsenal point of view. They've been managed perfectly by both players because they both got massive wage increases. Sanchez, he doesn't give a fuck where he plays, really. No. But he knew at 29 years of age he's going to go and uh, and get a big load of money from somewhere. He got it from United. The the figures, you see the figures doing the rounds last week. Daniel Taylor published them in Jesus. The Guardian, I think. Well, it's 380 like grand a week with a 70, basic. 300, or no, 71,000 appearance fee. fee. And fuck, Jesus Christ. There was a signing on fee on top of that, which was over a million pound a season that he gets paid as a signing. Yeah, you know, so so the, the, the people who made out really well from those situations were Sanchez and Ozil, and Arsenal did not. No, and Ramsey's just following their example. Yeah. Uh, and why would you not? You know, I suppose it's his own personal interest. But that's why I really believe the club needed to take a stronger position on this than they have. And, and one suspects that whatever happens with Ramsey will cost us again, either that he will leave either in January or the summer for mm. a reduced fee or nothing, What's, or yeah. we'll end up paying him more money than perhaps we should. Yeah. I mean, it's already cost us money because we won't get anything like a reasonable transfer fee for a player of his his talent, um, even if he, even if he goes in January. So uh, mm. yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Um, right here, here's a question from Paul Gross. Uh, just speaking of Mkhitaryan, he says, "What's the best way to use Mkhitaryan? I feel he'll be wasted at Arsenal as he was at United because to get the best out of him, he really should be picked at number ten, and he's unlikely to be picked ahead of Ozil. Even Ozil wasn't played at number ten yesterday. But uh, what's your what's your thoughts on Mkhitaryan? It's tricky, isn't it? He's kind of the in a lot of sort of people's pre-season uh, 11s, you know, their best 11s that they were putting out, he was kind of the odd man out, someone who wasn't a guaranteed starter. And I can see why, because he's kind of a halfway house. He's sort of he's sort of a number 10 and he's sort of a wide player, but he's not absolutely one or the other. Um, I wonder if his future might lie a little bit deeper, maybe, you know, more as like a kind of... A number eight, just because I, I feel like maybe he lacks the the pace to really, you know, to do, for example, the job that Sterling does for Manchester mm. City as a kind of wide forward. I feel like he doesn't have the sprint speed to do that. But uh, he wasn't good against City, I think it's fair to say. Mm. My feeling is that he's a player who you use against the more mediocre opposition that you face during the season. I think he, he right. will be a really effective player against them, but I feel like he's lightweight when we play the likes of City and United and Chelsea. Uh, I, I wouldn't pick him against Chelsea. It felt like there was an athleticism gap yesterday. Did you feel that? I, I just mm. felt like, given that all the talk in the preseason had been, well, Arsenal players didn't go for the World Cup, uh, you know, so they should be in top shape. I looked at City and I just thought... They look quicker, they look stronger, and they look fitter. They, they're a very powerful team, aren't they, as well as very technically uh, 
able. Yeah, there was a really good illustration of that, actually, in the build-up to the second City goal, where City worked the ball out from the back. Aubameyang comes across. I can't remember who he's trying to, to muscle off the ball, but he basically could have been Fernandinho, but he basically bounces off him. They play the ball inside to, to Gundogan. Mkhitaryan gives a half-hearted chase, doesn't really get anywhere near him, and then they work the ball down the left-hand side and, and score the goal. So, yeah, there was there was um, a gap there in terms of the physicality, maybe not so much the fitness, but uh, strength is, is an area that we, we could improve on for sure. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The improved musculature of some of our players, but it, it really wasn't evident yesterday. Yes, yeah. And I mean, how realistic it is for that to have changed in sort of six weeks, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, 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 what are we talking about? Mkhitaryan, lightweight. Yeah, yeah and, and also, I guess, against other opposition where Arsenal have more of the ball, he might become more useful. You know, he's someone who you can imagine him combining well with the likes of Ozil and Ramsey to unpick defences when they sit deeper against us. But that isn't really the problem that we had against Manchester City. So, uh, yeah, you wouldn't pick him against Chelsea. Would you pick... Well, actually, I've got a question about this. Let's right. move on to that. Um, where is it? That's the, that is the question. Oh, I, I had it and I lost it. It's back again. Richard Svanholm, who's at Rickard. Oh, it's Rickard, not Richard. Sorry, Rickard. Rickard Svanholm on Twitter says, who are your ins and outs for the 11 against Chelsea? Uh, depends on Monreal, I guess. If Monreal is fit, I suppose he would come in at left back. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be a big bonus, actually. I mean, you know, when you're talking about playing out from the back, he is someone who really does have the ability to do that. Mm. We have. There's another question here that I have. Actually, uh, it comes from. <laughs> he's called uh, Genduzi plus ten. He's at underscore Digo underscore Silva, and he says, "Would you drop Xhaka so we can play a four-two-three-one with Torreira and Ramsey at midfield, and Ozil where he plays his best in the in the number ten position?" I think I would be slightly tempted by that. I think I could be. Um, it paid some dividends in the second half. I just wonder if this Ramsey thing. If it's if it's important to Emery, if it's how he wants to do it, I wonder if it's worth another go you know, mm. against a team who aren't quite as good as City. Yeah, I mean, I think I would drop Mkhitaryan. I'd drop Mkhitaryan. The question Four. then is whether away from home you can go with Lacazette and Aubameyang or if you brought in somebody like Alex Iwobi, who has had some good performances. There was one last season, maybe, at Stamford Bridge, was there? It was Stamford um, Bridge in a nil-nil. A nil-nil, yeah. I think that came after the the walloping we got from Liverpool, wasn't it, right at the start? Mm. So we had to consolidate and, and put in a performance. So he, he could be an option if we're looking to be a bit more defensively solid. He is hardworking. You know, he's got the physicality as well to cope with, with some of what Chelsea do. But certainly I wouldn't play Mkhitaryan based on what we saw from him yesterday at home. Um, so, yeah, I'd have Torreira in the midfield. Would I play Genduzzi? I don't think I would. I mean, I like I like his character. I like his willingness. I just feel like maybe we're not doing him a service by playing him in these games, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of inclined to agree, although the alternatives aren't massively appealing, are no. they? I mean, Shaka was really poor against City. Mm. Um, but like you say, you know, maybe he takes some time to get going. Uh so by May, <laughs> it'll be great. 
Uh, yeah, I, so ins and outs. I mean, I don't think... I'd be tempted by going with Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think that that's something that Emery will deploy against weaker opposition. Uh, I'm not sure he would do that against Chelsea. It just seems to me that there's a bit of an understanding between them. They seem to sort of light up a bit when they have each other to play off, almost wherever they are on the field. And, yeah. You know, there's a bit of spark to that. And, and that doesn't quite exist yet between Ozil and Aubameyang, does it? You know, you, you think Aubameyang's the ideal forward for Ozil to be paired with, but... Even last season, we haven't necessarily seen that partnership burst into life yet. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, for for somebody like Ozil with the vision to have a player like Aubameyang ahead of him with that pace and that movement, you would have thought that's the, the absolute perfect foil for him. Um, so, yeah, it is a, it is a bit disappointing um, that they haven't quite clicked yet. But, you know, again, it's one game and... Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Whose uh, question is it? Is it mine? I think so. Yeah. All right. This is one from Darren Ambrose, who says all this propaganda about focusing on defence and hard work. Did anyone actually see any difference in the way that we defended? Ah, uh, a difference. Um, well. Yes, I saw a difference in the way we play without the ball. You know, there was a the whole Ramsey leading the press thing was kind of uh, new. In terms of the way we defended as a back four, I'm just trying to think. Really, not not massively. Did you? No, but I mean, what 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 could we do that much differently? You know, um, mm. particularly against a team like City. You know, there was no chance for us really to win the ball high up the pitch. If you push your centre halves forward, they're just going to go in behind you. Uh, as we saw for that uh, that chance for Aguero, um, we'd all pushed up for a free kick and they broke quickly and, uh, you know, got in behind. So I think it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. I think yesterday's back four was not reflective of what Emery will do because he didn't have a, an established left back. I do wonder in hindsight if maybe starting Licksteiner there would have been a better idea than Maitland-Niles because actually mm. I'd forgotten about Licksteiner completely because when Maitland-Niles was going off, I was going, well, f- well fuck, what are we going to do? How are we going to do that? Is he going to bring holding on and put Mustafi at right back? I'd completely forgotten about him, even right. in the build-up to the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to, again, it's going to take time for him to, to get his defence working the way he wants. I think the protection that, the 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 back four are given from midfield is going to be really really important, which is why I think Torreira needs to start against Chelsea. I don't know if you noticed yesterday there was one bit where Chelsea or City broke forward. They were coming forward, and Torreira he didn't go to the ball, but he ran into space and made an interception based on where he thought the the pass was going to go, which I thought was really quite interesting. Um, and that's the sort of protection that the back four might get from midfield, which might cut out some of the the other stuff. I mean, there was a, another moment where City were running at us and Socrates was basically running away from the ball. I didn't quite get what he was trying to do there. Um, so I, I think it'll take time for the, for the midfield um, to be balanced properly to protect the back four. And that's where I think the, the main difference in our defending will come from. You hate to heap too much pressure on Torreira, but... It does feel like there is significant pressure on Torreira, basically, to to resolve a lot of these issues. And he does, on paper, have the right criteria, the right attributes. But, you know, it, it will be fascinating to see how much difference 
he can make. I, I do think Lichsteiner should start next week if Monreal's not ready. And I think in future, maybe he's shown he is the guy for backup left back. I, I enjoyed when he was coming on, Emery was kind of giving him a lot of instructions, uh, a lot of instructions vocally. And it was very loud at that point in the stadium, new season, 60,000 fans. And Licksteiner was just kind of nodding back at him. You know, it was almost like he was saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know how I know how to play fullback. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he went on and he sort of showed that. Yeah. And uh, that's the advantage you have isn't it, of signing uh, a pro like that. I mean, Kevash, uh, Keshav Kapoor, sorry, said, did you enjoy Lichsteiner's shithousery when he came on yesterday? And I can imagine that is sort of to your taste, the way that he uh, went yeah. from Mars there. Uh, yeah, look, I, I liked, I really liked the fact that he he clattered into Mares a couple of minutes after coming on. Because, you know, it's that classic old grizzled fullback thing with a winger. It's like, okay, here you go. I'm here. Try run past me now because, you know, you're going to get some of this and I'm not sure if Mares was quieter or not after that. My my feeling is that he was. Maybe that's just some confirmation bias on my part, but it felt like he, he sort of put him back in his box a little bit. Um, I wasn't mad for the, the, the incident in the box where he claimed to have been, you know, headbutted or whatever it was. Two heads came together himself and Laporte, I think it was, and it was just two defenders, um, you know, rutting like old stags but you know there was no need to make such a big song and dance of it I don't think that was particularly good but you know I'm all for a bit of experience I'm all for a bit of shithousery I'm all for a bit of cynicism because I think these could be important factors for us this season you know when we are trying to improve when we're trying not to get exposed you know it's taking that yellow card on the halfway line it is clattering into a guy and letting him know you're there you know, and if the guy is that kind of a character where he doesn't fancy it as much, then you're kind of doing your job. I'm not saying break a guy's leg or anything, but, you know, be a bit physical. Remind him that he's in a bit of a scrap, you know, which we haven't done often enough in recent years. You know, when you think about Wenger's best teams, they were full of physical players, intimidating physical players, like even Dennis Bergkamp, as amazing a footballer as he was, was a nasty bastard at times. Ask yeah. Steve Lomas, getting an elbow in the face. You know, was it great for us to be without Dennis Bergkamp for three games? No, but what's the impact of that in general when a team feels or an opposition feels like, oh, well, this guy could do me. Do mm. you get as close as you're going to get if you're not afraid of him? You know, there's there's something to be said for that side of the game that we we haven't had. So if he's there to do a bit of that, then fine. And if he can teach some of the other players to do a bit of that, fine. And you know what else I noticed yesterday? Uh, Lacazette got really stuck in. Mm-mm. Really well and truly stuck in. He was penalized a few times by the referee. I think by the third time, people were going crazy because I thought he made a couple of really good tackles, but but the referee gave free kicks. But, you know, that kind of thing. Be a bit physical. Put yourself about. You're a fucking big, strong guy. You know, we don't have to tippy-tap around the opposition. It's all well and, you know, show them some respect. That's fine. But they're not your mates for 90 minutes. They're not your mates and you can you can be physical without being violent and i think that's probably something we need to be because there is a, a a golfing quality in terms of personnel and there are ways that you can make that up and that's one of them i'm not saying it's the only way to do it i'm not saying it's going to solve all our problems but it won't hurt us provided we don't get you know players sent off all over the place but that's not what i'm talking about either 
No, and, and when you look at the new signings, you know, Lichsteiner, Socrates, uh, Torreira, they all potentially have that element to their game, that they are prepared to be physical and, and get involved with that contact. So let's hope we see that coming out in the next few weeks. Mm, OK, I think it's your question. Is it? I've, I don't know if I've got one. Hang on, let me have a look. Um, we've covered so much stuff. We really have. Well, what about... Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound very good, did it? Yep. Um, just, well, thanks for all these hundreds of questions, guys. Uh, Jay Burl says, did you notice the class of Mikel Arteta not celebrating the City goals? No, I didn't. And I didn't give a fuck. I Could found it interesting, actually, that... Fuck. I obviously wasn't watching it on telly, so maybe I've got a different perception of it. But I felt like the Arteta narrative, given that he was so close, reportedly, to becoming our Arsenal manager uh, earlier in the summer, it wasn't a hugely overplayed part of proceedings yesterday. It was kind of, oh, yeah, there he is. It wasn't a big deal. Is that Was that how it was represented on telly? Too? Yeah, I think so. I didn't really pay very much attention to it, to be honest. Maybe they showed yeah. some close-ups of him or whatever, but... Fuck, he's just a guy doing his job. He could have got the job with us. He didn't get the job with us. He's got a great job in Manchester City. Good for him. Mm. You know, I don't know why everything has to be a fucking Love Island fucking drama type thing. <laughs> you know? Don't have to have a soap opera out of every fucking little thing. That's true, especially when, you know, ultimately for a lot of these guys, it is, it is just business, you know? He's mm. just doing his job. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Have you got any more questions? Uh, not really, because I think we've pretty much covered everything. I'm just uh, flicking through them here. Uh, Jim Carrey's dad, who's at not Jim Carrey's dad, says, which one of you would make the best wizard? I think it'd be you. Why? I'm really happy with that, but why? I just feel like you're better at costumes and stuff like that. So I could see you with the, the hat and the robes and, you know, your magic wand. You know, I'm not saying there's a touch of Harry. Was Harry Potter a wizard? It's something like that. Was yeah. he? That's or one word he, for I mean, it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he... he yeah, I mean, I guess I could be a wizard. I, I found out that... Um, uh, this I used to be called the wizard. Do you know this? So I, I found out that I, when I was at what? university. Wait, right. wait, wait, wait. Okay. When I was at university, um, I bumped into this girl shortly after I left university, and she was someone I had a bit of a crush on actually. And she said to me, "Oh, I remember you from university. Everyone used to call you the wizard." And I was like, <laughs> "That sounds that sounds brilliant." I was like, "What's going on here?" So I said, "Oh, what do you mean? Why, why did they call me the wizard?" And they were like, "Because." Um, Whenever you were talking, you do that thing with your hands when magicians are moving the cups. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not as cool as I thought. I just had like little dinosaur hands moving around all over the place. So, yeah, I would be the better wizard, maybe. Okay. Okay. I think you would. I'd hand that one to you. I'm not sure that would be my, my forte. So, James is the better wizard. I do have one very final one here. I'm not sure if this is true or not. Um, mm. But Ryan Barber who's at Ryan Barber 25 says, why was James slumped down on the floor of the stadium concourse yesterday during half time? Was it really that bad of a, of a performance? What was this you, James? Were you slumped down on the stadium concourse? Uh, that, that was me, I'm afraid. Yeah, oh that was God. me. What were you back. doing? Do you want to know what I was doing? I was writing the ESPN, uh, player ratings. I was making some, starting some work on those on my phone <laughs> half time in the concourse. <laughs> so I was sat on the floor 
uh, tapping away on my phone. I don't know if it was Ryan who came up to me and said hello, but I was like, that's not a good place to be recognised, is it? I sat on the floor of a dirty concourse. But there you go. That's what That was the explanation. I was also quite... I had been quite excited going into the game and halftime was a bit of a reality check, so maybe it was an emotional one. Right, right, right. Well, I, I do like that you're staying on brand, you know, uh, slumped on the floor. Was it outside I'm the toilet? Sorry, I wasn't wearing a tracksuit. That's all I can say. You was, know, was it outside one of the toilets or anything? It was opposite the toilets. Yeah, don't worry. I was, oh. At least it wasn't in the toilet. At least it wasn't like, why was James sat in a urinal at halftime? <laughs> Because I was working, guys, obviously. <laughs> We've got a whole season for you to park your butt in a fucking urinal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll okay. do that, you know, if it's worse at halftime, that, that's where you'll find me. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Um, we will look forward to the Chelsea game this weekend at Stamford Bridge on the Arsecast on Friday, so please feel free to join us for that. Uh, you know where to find it. It'll be available first thing Friday morning. Um, we'll be here all week with all the Arsenal news, and as ever, thank you uh, for listening. Thanks for being with us for another season. Here we go again, folks. It's going to be another journey, another trip, I think. Um, let's, hope it's, uh, let's hope it's a fun one. Until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.